Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 19 of Pounding the Table. It is Saturday, and as everyone knows, Saturdays are for the Pounding the Table boys and girls. It's 2020, so everyone's included. That's right, the pod of the people is back. Last week, we hit a major milestone, getting to the top 5% of podcasts globally, which I actually had zero clue of. Apparently, 10,000 unique listeners gets us there. That's right, Avi. We're genuinely overwhelmed with all the support coming this way at Pound Nation. This is what happens when literally all of the pounders are out there listening, sharing ideas, writing reviews on Apple Music. So huge thanks for that and getting us bigger every week. And that's why we're going to continue to make the best episodes we can every week. And also huge thanks to everyone who gave us these hilarious ideas for merchandise, which we will absolutely get into in 2021. And for those of you who are new, Pounding the Table is a podcast by Avi Mash and yours truly, Anthony O'Hein, talking about the stock market, the art of options trading. And each week we analyze the news and provide our opinions and insights around how we think the markets will be impacted from it. Quick disclaimer here for everybody. The thoughts on this podcast are purely that of opinion and of our own personal investments. Everything said on every episode of Pounding the Table, as well as our Twitter account, are not and should never be construed as anything like financial advice, recommendations, or solicitations. And with that being said, Avi, let's kick this week's episode off. Let's do it. Yeah, let's jump right in and talk about what happened in the markets last week, how we did last week on our mini monsters. We got more mini monsters and some things that both of us do towards the end of the year for tax purposes and, of course, much more. Jumping into last week, we saw two massive IPOs, DoorDash and Airbnb, both which we did not pound, right? They both had insane valuations. Tony, what is this frothiness of the IPO space and, of course, all these crazy SPAC attacks mean for the overall markets moving forward? I mean, it's just been absolutely crazy for the last few months, right? Like any IPO that hits the market, first of all, is priced way lower than where it opens at, right? I think Airbnb was priced at 68 and opened near 150. So you're going to kind of see that happen until it stops happening, which no one really knows when. And I think the current situation that the market's in, you know, we've got a lot of liquidity. We've got a ton of money to throw around. And of course, interest rates being as low as possible right now. I mean, I think this is just the perfect situation for all these companies to go public. And that's why you're seeing SPAC attack 2020 happen. I mean, the number of SPACs coming out this year versus the last like five years when they started really becoming popular is just been, I think this year is more than all of those years in the past by a lot. And I'm sure that will continue. I think I read somewhere that there's, there's about 210 SPACs right now, and there's over 300 private companies worth over a billion dollars that will be hitting the markets and they're trying to be IPO in the next year or so. So that's kind of crazy. And I don't think you're going to see this trend go away. I mean, people see this as an opportunity to get their company listed, get that money funded so they can grow their businesses and grow that company bigger and bigger. And I think this market's just giving you those perfect conditions. So I think SPAC attack is going to be moving into 2021 and these IPO craziness will do the same. All right, Tony. So let's uh, jump right in and, and talk about how we did last week. Everyone seems to love these little mini monsters. So uh, We'll, of course, have some more later in the episode, but what happened last week with some of our rippers and dippers? So taking a look here at the rippers first, Tony, walk through, start with Niu. Absolutely, Avi. Let's kick it off with Niu, right? So I love the EV space. It's obviously as hot as can be right now, but I'm trying to zag when others are zigging. So I want to be in things that are not directly just EV cars or EV batteries. So this one, obviously is in the EV space, but they do, you know, two wheelers, electric scooters, that kind of thing. So I'm a big fan of it. It's also, you know, has good revenue and is growing at a nice pace. One from 28 to 29.2, but it does look like it's ready for a reversal. 
Before we jump to the next one, too, I know, I know we didn't even write this one down, but it's obviously at the same space. Mr. George Jetson himself, EH, <laughs> so you absolutely nailed that one. I thought it was a joke when you first mentioned it, and that one has been flying, literally, and metaphorically. Literally. Yeah, I mean, that one went from 8 to 24 at the highs the other day, and so that one's crazy because I know a lot of people were telling me, well, regulatory bodies are not going to want to approve that regulation is going to be so hard to get. And, you know, you're never going to see this company really get off the ground. See what, see what I did there. I try to jump in with a pun like you did. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it went from eight to 24 and, and I do like playing the space, but you're not doing the directing and everyone's like jumping into all these like standard, the Neos, the, those kind of things where we're trying to play those, but stay away from them at the same time. So EH did say they're expecting that China is going to approve its two vehicles in 2021. So I think that, whole thing where everyone's saying regulatory approval is going to be impossible to get this thing off the ground, said it again. It's not going to be as hard as you think. I mean, they just had that test in South Korea and that did beautifully flew around for three hours. So for me, this is one of those, like, let's see what happens. It could be a huge stock. So while EH is getting off the ground, the next one's MP. So kind of digging into the ground here. <laughs> Just a little bit about how MP did there. Uh, these puns are starting to make me sick. But yeah, I'm a big fan of MP as well. Uh, holding that one long term, it went from 22, 26.43. I just love the way that they're positioned in these uh, rare earth mineral spaces. So that one did very well. I think it'll continue to do well in the next year. Let's jump in the pick really quick. That was my thesis pick from last week. That <laughs> pick <laughs> it went from 14.2 to 16.2. Still holding this one's got news imminent. Another one I'm looking at, but actually projected to be mid-Jan, looks like, for their merger date. So that's going to be AMCI, one from 12.6 to 13.78. So that's actually a really interesting one. Hasn't really taken off yet, but I'm sure this one will get a lot of hype, I'm thinking, just because in that hydrogen space, that's once again zagging when everyone's zigging. Everyone's getting into these EVs, but there's obviously other types of renewable energy that are going to be really, really big in the future, right? You can have a pie, but there's enough slices to go around in this huge market that's going to be developing over time. HCAC, another one we pounded last week, benefited from the Kramer pump, of course, which you know is very infamous, 13.7 uh, to 20.1, but also went all the way up to 23. So holding that one long and going to see what's going to happen. I think that one has news in the coming days too, and we'll talk about the exact dates at the end of the episode. Another one I know Avi loves sports betting, so DMYD, that's Genius Sports. Uh, he's a big fan of that one. So it went from 11 to 13, definitely made up for my $100 sports betting loss trying to play that other market that I know nothing about with Avi. That's right. I lost a little bit more than $100 myself, Tony. I got to stop betting against my own teams. I used to think it would be like this emotional hedge. You know, either way, I'm happy. I'm not. So <laughs> let's just jump right back in. Some of these were not rippers. Some of these were not dippers. Some of these kind of stayed flat. So run through these and kind of explain too. I think it's important why they stayed flat. Right. So we'll talk about HAACU and CMLF. So those are my two huge, heavy biogenomics pounds in the future, right? So those are new SPACs that just hit the market. So I don't know when those are going to go, but I have super strong conviction on both of them, right? HAACU, that's the Livongo guys. So the, they literally left Teladoc to go there. And so you wouldn't leave a beast company that's Teladoc now to go and do something that's not going to be working out really well. And the reason why it didn't dip or rip is because it is new and because that's what SPACs do. They hover around 10 to 11 range before they get news. And that's why I love to use them as cash reserves. And same as CMLF, really didn't move other than 10 cents. So these do hold their value. And you know, you saw the market drop like I think 80, 90 points from its highs recently. And these SPACs didn't move at all. I did notice that people start loading these like cheaper SPACs, the ones that haven't really rocked yet, as these cash reserves when the market's dipping. So 
like to see that. And really just going along with the theory that we've had for a long time of SPACs are great cash reserves in the 10 to $12 range. We did have some dippers though, right? Ozon. So that's a brand new IPO hit the market in the last few weeks. So it's expected to have volatility around the initial pricing. That one went from 47.75 at our pound, 43.37. Once again, like this is not what I'm getting rid of. I'm holding this one long-term. And of course, we saved the most interesting conundrum for last is uh, TRNE, which we did pound at 11 and it closed Friday around 17, but it did convert to DM. So desktop metals is now trading as desktop metals, not TRNE SPAC anymore. Oh, there's a lot to talk about here, Avi. Yeah, let's jump right into desktop metals. That was my thesis pick. So I feel like I'm on the hook here and it was not fun to see that, you know, drop down. Granted, with any stock, you can't look at it week on week. You have to really zoom out and see what it does over time, of course. I'm still holding that one. There was some serious diddling. I know that's your favorite yeah. word, but it, it truly felt like some diddling was going on here. Uh, I you know, used TD. The TRNE ticker symbol did not move over until the end of the day on Monday. I also had several friends actually reach out to me that listened to the show. They were asking me what was going on. I had no idea either. And so Tony, do you know, like the diddling that went on? Can you dive into this? I know it's Shamath and, you know, everyone's kind of talking about this now. So. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to talk about it too. I dove in really deep to see what happened. So I know you said Monday, but it was, uh, I think it was Thursday, Friday that happened there, but here's what Shamath said. So somebody wrote to Shamath, which obviously what else do you do on Twitter? Are you talking to the people who let this madness happen? And obviously I have great, great respect to Shamath. And I don't know who exactly is at blame here, right? So there's, it's either the brokers or it's actually desktop metal themselves for not sending out the shares on time. Who knows, but this is what Shamath said. So someone wrote to him and asked what happened with TRNE and DM? And he goes, Figuring this out now, we'll update when I know more. It was a shit show, sorry, as you unfortunately experienced. And then TD Ameritrade, so someone posted the TD Ameritrade too. It says, we can't post the new shares until we receive them. Regrettably, we did not receive the new shares from the company until yesterday afternoon. Uh, I think that was from Friday. So you had that whole day where you couldn't even touch the stock in TD. And the same issue with E-Trade and other brokerages I'm using. So they said they apologized for the delay, but you know, Sorry, he's not helping my account here. And some are also claiming that there was huge buying on another name, uh, ticker symbol DMS, right? We're not pounding this one at all. We're just talking and saying that this one got bought up huge. I think over a million shares were bought. It was a lot of buying in this name because people thought it was desktop metals because of this confusion. They were looking to see where desktop metals was on their broker. They couldn't see anything but DMS and people were buying that. And we've seen that a lot happen uh, like something like Zoom, right? There was another stock that I think the ticker symbol is Zoom and that one exploded when Zoom was exploding, the actual company like zoom.com, right? But this company to me is not going anywhere. I think this company is one of the most revolutionary things I've seen in a long time. I think it's one of those opportunities where you see situations like this that come out and present these buying opportunities. And that's what I'm seeing it as. So everyone's talking about the valuation for this, but to me, there's a lot of companies that valuations are relevant, right? Like you see Zoom trading at whatever hundred times multiple. A lot of these things happening in the market, Airbnb valued, opens at three times the valuation, right? DoorDash, same thing. So to me, valuation, if you're comparing it to a SPAC, that's a brand new company in a revolutionary area, I think you're talking the wrong you know, conversation. Uh, and I think world changing companies deserve to have these crazy multiples. I mean, this thing has investments from Coke Industries, Chamath, Ford, GE, Saudi Aramco, and GV, which is formerly Google Ventures. I, I did the research and I believe in the company still. And I think that this is just a broker issue. So you had all these other IPOs, right? Airbnb and DoorDash hitting the market. I think brokers were much more focused on that. And I don't know what happened on this side of whether it was specifically DM's fault, but I think that you'll see some 
change in the way that the stock is perceived once people have all their DM in their accounts and they're allowed to trade that properly as they should have been able to do the second Thursday morning happened. Yeah, I want to see this thing shake out. I actually added on those dips. Uh, I felt very strongly about it. As you mentioned, the partnerships that they have with all of these car companies, et cetera, that thing to me, you know, isn't buying opportunity. Uh, let's get into one of our favorites. I know CGUs has made hilarious memes about this one. Super Feek. We're getting super feaky. Skills is actually going to be merging on Wednesday, 1216. I know we've talked about this one quite a bit, but, you know, it's really interesting to see if this, you know, same type of diddling may happen uh, with DM. Is that something that you're, you're nervous about, I guess, once it does transfer to the new name? Right. Yeah. So I think DM really changed things up for me because before you had things like laser and QuantumScape go insane, they went like 300, 400, and then QuantumScape went 700%. So you expect that after the merger now, like the, the trend was that they explode after the merger, but now you're seeing that there could be potential issues in the tra uh, share transferring. And there's so many other companies going public. There's 10 SPACs every day being listed. There's 10 SPACs with news every day. There's so much going on that there is potential for people to miss things. I did see Morgan Stanley acquiring, I think it was like 18.8% stake in Feek, which is huge. So I think that there's a lot less risk for this to happen with them because Morgan Stanley jumped in so heavily. I mean, that's a quarter, a fifth of ownership. That's pretty big. I'd say that some of these SPACs are obviously being overextended, but once again, right, if you get in a 10 and you start trimming over 15, 20, 25, whatever it is, right, you're not going to lose any money there unless you're playing degenerate call options. One of my probably worst trades of the year was DM. We talk about our winners all the time on the show, but I'll talk about losers. So I thought DM would have the same situation happen to it as QuantumScape and as Laser did, but obviously not the case. So I had January and February calls, and then I decided to roll those into some December so I could get more exposure. And obviously those Decembers are pretty much near worthless now. Obviously I wrote it from 11, so still have a lot of gains on it, but that did eat up half my gains on TRNE. And so for that reason, I'm now going to sell about probably half of these SPACs that are running crazy before their merger dates because you just don't know what's going to happen, right? So if this is the new trend where they explode into the merger date and then they dive after the merger date and the SPAC went from 10 to 20 and you have huge gains, right? That's when you manage your account. And that's definitely when I'll be taking care of my positions and, you know, just making sure that this doesn't happen again. So you can make one mistake and you're not stupid, but if you make the same mistake twice, right? Like the joke's on you. Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting, right? I, it, it makes sense that there will be some profit, you know, takers, right? You get in at 10 or 11 and it runs up into the merger. Of course, people are going to take profits, right? So there may be a few weeks after that it does need to actually start building its way back up. And I know we were making this joke or, you know, this analogy earlier. I was, I was actually cooking some popcorn on the stove and you see them all sizzling, all the different kernels and, you know, one pops, you go and try to chase that one. Then all of a sudden the next one pops and you can just see people out there like chasing their tails with these SPACs. It's SPAC yeah. attack season. Everyone's excited. So, you know, let those non-pounders do that. We really want to reiterate, you know, the simple math of, of making sure that you do get in early as close to that $10 $11 mark as possible, you know, of course that inherently will just limit that downside risk and, and give you more upside and that opportunity to take profits before that merger. Absolutely. Right. And you can always redeem them at the $10 with interest. So that's the thing that people are like, why is it a $10 floor? That's the reason. So there's a guarantee behind that. That company is holding cash and your share is worth X percentage of that cash. So it's not like a stock where it's the value of a complete company yet before the merger, right? Once it's a merger, it is essentially 
a portion of that entire enterprise of whichever company is merging with. But as a $10 SPAC, I mean, your downside is nothing, right? So that's, that's the benefit of it and until it merges, of course. So once again, there's obviously caveats to all these SPACs. So there's risk. I think holding SPACs like over 20 to 30, especially short term, right? Like if something goes, like you saw DM went from 11 to 25, 26, I think it was almost 27 pre-market in over a little over a week. That's something where I should have known better to follow my own rules, make sure I can trade again. But I, I mean, other trades made up for it, but still it's not fun to see you be so wrong on something. And especially because of it not being directly your fault, right? So this is a broker situation. This is a DM, the management from them situation. So even though, I think I'm definitely right on the stock. I think you're right on the thesis pick. Things can happen in the short term. So no one's going to come and knock on your door and say, hey, it's me. You know, I'm the management of TRNE. Like, here's your money back from TRNE. So that's not really the situation. So you want to protect yourself regardless of what can happen. Because now that we've seen it happen once, it can happen again. And that's just why we're definitely highlighting that because the future is uh, unknown to us. That's right. And speaking of the future, genomic companies are absolutely rocking. I know a few of these we've been pounding since day one, NTLA, CRISPR. What happened with both of those? And why'd you put these down here to talk about here today? Right. So we, we absolutely had to talk about these. So NTLA, Intelia, uh, CRISPR, so CRISPR therapeutic, and then Editas. So these three I think have the potential to be these 25, 50 baggers, you know, maybe less numbers now because they've already ran 100, 200% since we started talking about them. But they all have been having this nonstop amazing news on their genomics, being able to prevent these diseases and, and seek them out and adjust these like little genomic sequences. And it's, it's actually incredible that all three of these are just having this nonstop news. So you're seeing this become this trend that I was talking about like months ago in the podcast saying, this is the new wave of cloud computing. This is the new wave of e-commerce payment processing. This is the hype train. That's not even a hype train because this is the future. And there's no one that can change my opinion about that because I believe that in the future, like, I don't even know what the potential for this medicine is. I just know that it could be way more than we assume it is. And even if it's half of what they're saying it is, it'll be incredible. So these will continue to run, I think, for the next 5, 10, 15 years. And I actually don't know which one will be the leader. And once again, I think this is such a big market that the space here has surely enough room for multiple players. So NTLA highlighted numerous advantages of its proprietary manufacturing process uh, compared to standard process, which translated into better tumor control in mouse models of acute leukemias. And they remain on track. Uh, to submit an IND for NTLA 5001, which is their treatment in first half of 2021. So they're really moving along, I think, faster than I was expecting all these companies to really be able to use this technology, this CRISPR gene editing. And let's definitely talk about CRISPR here, because obviously one of my favorites. So they're working uh, with Vertex Pharmaceuticals, and they released data on 10 patients treated with their investigational CRISPR gene editing therapy. So the data shows that up to 80% gene modification happens with no evidence of off-target editing, which is assuaging one of the main fears of CRISPR gene editing technology. So Clearly, you're seeing that these things are really taking the market by storm and doing what they said they were going to do for so many years. So let's talk about Editas also, uh, one that we pounded along with NTLA and CRISPR. So we said, you know, we don't know who's going to be the winner, maybe all three, maybe just one of them, but I wanted to own all three. And that's what we said on the pod. And clearly, that's been a good strategy because two of them have doubled and CRISPR is a triple since when I got into it. But Editas had a huge jump, it went from 30 to 65 last week at the highs. And they announced that it submitted an IND, so investigational new drug application with the FDA for the initiation of phase one and two clinical study, which evaluates the experimental therapy in treating sickle cell diseases. So 
assuming the FDA gives a thumbs up, it will be a second clinical stage gene editing candidate. So this is pretty much as far as this technology has gotten. And you're seeing that it's not just happening in one name. It's not like one guy just kind of figured it out. It's like all three of these are happening at the same time. All three got news within a week or two weeks of each other. So clearly this is something that I think the world is pounding on. We want genomics. We want gene editing. We want healthier and better lives. And that's not going anywhere. I hear you physically pounding the table over there. So that I, is, I really uh, was. I was like punching the table <laughs> there for that. I, I feel like these will be the next wave of that hype that you saw and all these names that we've been talking about all year. All right, Tony, let me jump in with a little medical stock news here. We got Nanox. Seems like we do not go an episode without discussing something with them. Uh, Yahoo Finance just reported that their FDA approval could be right around the corner. So they actually went through what's called like this five- 10K process, which essentially allows the FDA to clear these medical devices because they're quote unquote are substantially equivalent to a legally marketed device, right? So this is the route that they took and it's pretty straightforward and simple process, right? So in fact, I'm reading off here from The Motley Fool, uh, they had mentioned 80% of medical devices in commercialization are cleared via the 510K pathway. So this is massive. I know you had pounded this to 200. It's been an absolute roller coaster ride as we've discussed. But this thing could happen in January or February. So this is obviously great news, exciting news. You know, are you still pounding Nanox to 200? I thought you were a madman. Yeah, I will never change my target on Nanox to 200 because if, when, honestly, in my opinion, this all happens, right? So you saw the demo. The demo was incredible. And I know you said it was very salesy, this and that, but it was exactly what you wanted to see. It's not a fake machine. It's not just like some fake prototype that, you know, you can only take photos of. And I think that that is just, you know, a testament to where this company is going to go. And I think the fact that they're trying to get this cleared so fast, they want to fill these orders. I think the only issue you're going to have with this company in the future, once this FDA approval happens, in my opinion, is they're not going to be able to meet demand, which is the best problem in the world for a company to have. So you're going to start seeing this company as an actual company with like, future revenues, future profits, this and that, which I've, I've seen it as the whole time. And I think that's really where it's going to go. I mean, you saw these 500, 600 inquiries happen for their devices after the demo. Each of those devices are having that software as a service for their medical imaging. So you're going to see it as a hardware and a software company. And I think people are going to really, really get a kick out of that when they start seeing those numbers roll in for those deliveries. So I'm not selling Nanox till it hits 200. I just can't. I can't do it to myself because I know I'm right. I saw that radiologist. He felt a little bit salesy i know that's my baby though nanox we've been pounding that for quite some time all right i think everyone's been waiting for this moment tony you know why because you're gonna do the voice i'm probably gonna do the voice that's right it is time for mini monsters so this time you wanted to name this finding bigfoot right so the baby bigfoots of the world that are gonna become the next monsters of wall street so you know, before we do jump in, Tony, I know you wanted to share, you know, a few sites that we look at to kind of assess some of these new mini monsters, the SPAC attacks of the world. So jump right in and share a little bit of advice before we jump into those. No, I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, I, I know we've been talking a lot about SPACs recently, and that's just because that's what been, the market's been playing a lot. Like, that's what's hot right now. So we have to be jumping on the trends where we see them. Um, I mean, who knows how long it lasts, but what I do like about the potential for the SPACs that we keep talking about is that when we talk about them, they're not already $20. They're not already $25. Like we try to look at the ones that are $10 to $13 range 
that haven't really gone crazy yet, that either maybe they're in talks with another company to merge with, or maybe they already have a definitive agreement and the market hasn't gotten excited because you know the, the agreement hasn't been super confirmed on a certain date or whatever it is. But we always look at spactrack.net and spacresearch.com. I think they both have Twitter, so definitely give them a follow because I, I follow them and I read all the stuff. It's really good for news and calendar dates of when mergers are happening and when deadlines are. And I think SPACtrack.net actually even has like a comparison of the common share prices and the warrant prices, the premium and the percent to the deadline of the mergers. So definitely where we start. But the reason we called it Finding Bigfoot this week is because a lot of people are asking us how we find these names that we look for, right? So we did this cool thing where Avi went into the lab and he went SPAC Avi on me and decided to look through all 200 and something SPACs. And he's like, Tony, which ones do you think, you know, that you also have on your list that I have as well? So we can talk about them and show people exactly how we get into finding what we think is going to be a good SPAC or a good mini monster in general. So Avi, let's walk through this a little bit, tell the people what we do and how we do it. Yeah, Tony. So, you know, we had this thought process of the, the actual double pound, right? And the best way to do that was to kind of both go on our separate ways, both pick five to 10 SPACs that we absolutely love. And then we cross-reference them. And then if we do have the same names on the list, we'll do a double pound. But then what do we do from there? So like walk everyone through kind of that thought process. Once we have the names, what's that next step again? Yeah, so the first thing, and honestly how we kind of find the names too, especially when the SPACs have no info, they're kind of newer, we look at who that team is, right? So you've seen that there's some dominant players in the SPAC space, right? You have Chamath, he's like IPOA to IPOF now, he's doing TRNE, MP, all these different names. So people like that who have you know, skin in the game, who have done SPACs before, or you know, maybe they're from Google, Microsoft, or Square, or whatever it is. So we like to see who's on the team, obviously. So talk to us about the first pick, and uh, we'll do this in stages. So let's talk about this stock and what you see for it for the management side. Yeah, so the first one we want to talk about, Tony, is BFT. So shout out to Yancey Pritchard, who shot me this a few weeks back. Uh, that one's going to be merging into PaySafe. That stock was at $13, popped up actually after hours on Friday to 14 as you mentioned, Tony, we got to look at the executive team, starting with the chairman, Bill Foley. If you guys are familiar with the Vegas Golden Knights, he's the owner of that. Prior to that, he was the chairman of Fidelity National Financial. We'll get into a few more companies that he's brought, not only successfully from the bottom to the top. Uh, little Drake started from the bottom. Now we hear. So the CEO is Philip Mahew. He's an international leader in banking and payments. He's been in the industry for over 25 years with experience throughout the globe. So in LATAM, Europe, and North America. The rest of the executive team is literally filled with former leadership from PayPal, Facebook, Barclays, BNY Mellon. So they are familiar with the space. So obviously, Avi, I love the lineup here, right? So you have a bunch of beast people. I like the most the former leadership from PayPal because those are really in the same space. So these guys obviously know what they're doing. And the fact that they have that former leadership from PayPal means that I believe in this company a lot more just from the executive team perspective. And then obviously the second step when we look into mini monsters and SPAC specifically is uh, the news when it's supposed to be expected and if they have a target or a definitive agreement already. So BFT, they do have this uh, definitive agreement already. So that's already step two, check. And now let's look into the company that it's being merged with, which is step three, Avi. Tell us about it. So what does PaySafe actually do? Well, they're processing nearly over $100 billion in payment volume with more than 75% of that revenue coming from online and integrated services. Uh, they're both with B2B and B2C global networks. So it's this powerful suite of not only number one, digital wallet, two, e-cash, and three, that integrated processing solutions. So 
They have a huge history actually being the leader in iGaming payments. I know we've talked about DraftKings. We've talked about other gaming companies. And clearly that is the future. People will not stop playing games and more and more people as we come sedated in our own households, <laughs> regardless of COVID or not, those things are going to continue to grow, of course, with sports coming up, et cetera. And I also love the fact that Mr. Foley is absolutely crushed with his past companies. He brought Fidelity from $3 million to a $10 billion company, FIS from $2.5 billion to $91 billion, <laughs> Saradin from $4.2 to $14 billion, Dun and Bradstreet from $2 billion to $11 billion, Black Knights from $4.2 billion to $14 billion. So needless to say, this guy's an absolute mini monster himself. He's uh, Godzilla. Quick, That's incredible. I mean, like, look at the numbers. This guy is Godzilla. <laughs> uh, let's just take a quick look at the PaySafe financials. So they already got $1.3 billion in revenue, 30% EBITDA margins. Foley's also led several, as I mentioned, multi-billion dollar public market platforms with 100% acquisition. So that, of course, will be interesting to see who is this company going to acquire down the road, right? And we love those three-legged monsters. We always talk about SE and Mealy. Uh, and that's what I love about this business is they don't have all their eggs in one basket, right? So taking a look at some of these, they're the number one in eCash, working with Fortnite, Twitch, Spotify. They really have this digitization using their prepaid PaySafe card. Uh, also the number two global digital wallet, working with DraftKings, Bet365, William Hill, Betfair, and this is across 120 plus countries. And also the number four independent merchant acquirer. So they're already making profits, 961 million in profits, 63% uh, margins on 103 billion in volume by the end of 2021. And again, I love their focus in gaming. And as discussed on many podcasts, what's gonna happen to all these states? How are they gonna get tax revenue? It literally only makes sense. Why would they not start allowing sports betting in each of those states to produce you know, additional revenue for them? Uh, not only in iGaming, they also have customers kind of throughout the lottery, right? So they're working with Michigan, New Hampshire, several other states as well. And Tony, I know you love comparisons. You're world famous for this spade is a spade. So I'm going to pick one of our favorite stocks. How does this compare to Square? And as always, Avi, when we're doing a spade is a spade comparison, we want to look at the best company that's in that space right now and compare that to the one that we're looking into. So for me, of course, that's Square, as you mentioned. Right now, it's got a $95 billion market cap, give or take. 2021 transactional volume is going to be $142.3 billion, growing at 21%, $12.8 billion next year revenues. And EBITDA margins here are not applicable because Square is still really going to fight next year to be able to even turn a profit. So I think the estimate I saw now was like $30 million. And I just actually reread some of these numbers and got super excited about PaySafe, which I'll talk about right now in their financials, because of that reason that Square is not going to be doing a lot of profit next year. So you've got PaySafe here, $9 billion market cap is what that value is going to be after the merger with a SPAC. 2021 transactional volume of $103 billion. So that's not too far off from where Square is, right? So Square is doing 142, they're doing 103, and theirs is growing at 13%. And it's actually a 16.5 times enterprise value versus PayPal's 35 times. So that's actually really interesting to see here because this one's already doing revenues of 1.5 billion for next year. 2020 EBITDA margins of 30%, and they're gonna increase that to 33% next year versus PayPal's 15.8% last year and Square's negative 0.6%. So to me, PaySafe is starting to seem more attractive than Square here. I mean, we rode Square since sub 100, around 60, 70 range. And now PaySafe saying, well, we're going to be profitable. 
we have as much transactional volume almost a square, maybe, you know, a third less. But regardless, that market cap difference is really something to look at. Nine billion versus 95 billion. And these guys are crushing it at 30% EBITDA margins and 60% regular margins. And that's growing too. So big fan of PaySafe. I actually think this might become my new square. And we'll talk about that in some future episodes where you sell out of one great company to get into an even better position when at the current price. But I'm already can, I can already tell that this is probably what I'll do. So we got spade as a spade. It sounds like I got a double pound there. But, you know, again, that was phenomenal to really dig into. But, Tony, let's chat about some of these SPACs that, you know, you use this phrase kind of parking cash, right? They don't have a target quite yet. You mentioned ticker symbol BTWN. And then we have ticker symbol PSTH from Mr. Bill Spackman himself. So what do you like about these two? You know, I'm going to keep talking about HAACU and CMLF until they hit, right? So I said on the pod, I'm going to keep talking about Feek until it runs. And this is when it was $11. No one was really piping it up yet. But I am a big fan of Feek, obviously, and it doubled since then. And that was strictly because of, you know, the company that they were targeting, but also the leadership there I was a big fan of. So CMLF, HAACU, we've talked about those many times. Those are my, I'm parking cash and I'm just going to wait for those to double kind of stocks. And another one, obviously, you just mentioned BTWN. And I love that we both had both of these that we are going to talk about on our double pound making lists. So BTWN, no target yet. Uh, pretty recent spec, but the guys at the helm of this thing are beasts, right? So Sam Altman, CEO of OpenAI, former president of Y Combinator, and the director of Reddit. So I really like, I mean, what else is there to say about that? That's a, this guy's a beast. He's, he's another Godzilla. There's a couple Godzillas in the SPAC world right now. So you've got John Haas also, partner of RE Ventures, and Kenneth NG, founder of Arc Pacific, and the CEO of MLAC SPAC. So these guys are no strangers to the SPAC game, no strangers to the high-tech growth game. So this is definitely one I'm going to be really interested in watching and seeing how it develops and probably parking some cash in. Uh, definitely feel strong about it, but not as strong as I feel about the other HAACU and CMLFs. But this one, PSTH, Mr. Bill Spackman himself, and all I have to say about it is it's Ackman. It's $4 billion trust. So whoever they merge with is going to be a beast of a company. You know, is it going to be Stripe? Is it going to be whoever it is? The world may never know. But Bill Ackman's up 65% on the year. I'm a fan of that. I'm a fan of the $26 million to $2.7 billion trade he did. Incredible. So Ackman's got my respect, at least now, after he stopped being long VRX and trying to short Herbalife to the ground. But definitely one I will be adding cash into is PSTH. So I think right now the three that I'm really looking into the best for these cash reserves that we talk about are HAACU, CMLF, and PSTH because they haven't exploded yet. Yeah, Mr. Spackman, he's uh, one of a kind. I would not be surprised if he publicly goes on CNBC, shorts his own stock, and then secretly buys up his own. So we'll see here. But uh, loving the podcast so far, Tony. I think you're rocking. You know, we're clearly not as salacious as, you know, the Caller Daddy podcast. But your next pick, you know, if this one actually hits, I have no problem calling you Dada. Avi, even if this pick hits, please don't ever call me Dada. But <laughs> it's time for the Pounders thesis pick. It sounds so much weirder when I do it, I think. Than oh, when man, you're getting, you're getting better. <laughs> yeah, we've got to try to switch the roles every once in a while. But... Our thesis pick is Data, so ticker symbol D-A-D-A, Data Nexus Limited. So they operate a platform of local on-demand retail and delivery in China. So it has JD Daoja. I don't know if I butchered that, but that's their local on-demand retail platform for consumers, retailers, and brand owners. 
And then they also have data now. So that's a local on-demand delivery platform for merchants and individual senders in various industries and product categories. So a big fan of this one. I also love seeing the growth here, right? This is right on the same line of the trends that we like to follow the e-commerce payment processing, all that kind of thing. And their orders for this on-demand delivery market, which they are really killing it, are projected to soar by 225% uh, between 2019 and 2023. Avi, tell us a little bit about who also likes data. Yeah, Tony, you mentioned that JD.com has about a 47% stake in Data Nexus. Uh, it's 47.4 to be exact. But I love to see that Sequoia Capital is involved, Sequoia Capital China to be specific. And very, very cool is that Walmart at one point owned 9.9% of Data Nexus at the end of 2018. They've now upped that investment. They now own 10.7%. So why is that so significant, that 9.9 to moving over 10 slot? Right. So Walmart wanted to be like, I guess, on the same list as right. JD owns 47.4%. So that's a super strong back. And you always see these people own like 4.99% of a company or 9.99%, right? So they wanted, they, they wanted a board seat. And I think JD has like three or four board seats. So it's just kind of crazy seeing that these two powerhouses, I mean, JD is such a big company and Walmart's obviously the biggest retailer. So it's kind of crazy to see that they're so, so bullish on data nexus, which as we talked about earlier, you know, that's the way that we find these companies, the way that we look into them is seeing other really successful companies betting on the house with them. So big fan of that. And obviously, Avi, as much as we like to talk about who's backing this horse, we want to talk about the horse itself and why we like it so much. So they've got really good rapid revenue growth here, 85% year over year on that quarter recently. CNY did uh, 1.3 billion for that. So Obviously, it's a Chinese company, so they do it in CNY, but that's about, you know, give or take 200 million for that quarter. So very good numbers there, in my opinion. In the 12 months through September 30th, 2020, the GMV of one of their segments, the JDDJ segment, was an increase of 102.9%. So kind of crazy. And on that same time, active users on the platform hit 37.3 million, which was a 77.1% increase. And as we talk about the number of active users is such a big deal, right? So that's where that exponential base will continue to grow from. And we'll talk about data now. So that's a huge part of their business too. It's really taken off recently. And I think it took over 24% of its market segment of China. So that's kind of crazy that they're getting so big so fast. And it's up a lot from 19% in 2019. And I'm a big fan of the fact that data's revenue tripled between 2017 and 2019. And their gross margins are now 22% versus negative 31% in 2017. So definitely moving in the right direction. And here's the real kicker that I'm a big fan of, probably the most of, is that according to the company, to date, it's partnering with two thirds of China's 100 largest retailers. So clearly not a small company trying to make its up and coming. So having two thirds of China's 100 largest retailers with you is, is massive. A $10 billion market cap, they're expected to do $2.2 billion in revenue in uh, 2022 and 40 million in profits. So they're gonna keep putting money into growing that business, which we like to see, especially for these early on companies and not even think about profits for a few years, which is exactly what I like to see. So really heavy pound on data and I'm glad I got back to 40s so I could load it because it was just in the 60s. We are not only wrapping up the show, we are wrapping up the year. We will, of course, have a special episode. But before we round the bases, one thing that's very important before the end of the year, you were telling me to kind of start selling my losers. And shout out to Andy Levison for bringing this one up here. But Tony, why is it so important to sell you know, your losing stocks by the end of the year? 
Yeah. First of all, you should sell your losing stocks anyway. That's what any good investor does, right? So unless you have like an unbelievable, complete nonstop conviction on these names, then, you know, right, maybe never sell. But if you do take that tax gain right now of companies that have ripped 200%, 300%, whatever, you want to offset it by selling some of those losers so you can have more of those losses booked for this year's tax return. That's definitely a big thing. Like I've sold out of a lot of the things I've been holding for a while. Obviously I'm not up on all my positions. I wish, right? No one, no one is. Uh, so I'm taking off those losers just to make sure I book some of those capital gain losses against my gains for this year's completely for these tax purposes, especially you don't know what's going to happen next year. You've got the Georgia Senate runoff race looking very scary for the markets because you know you, you do have the potential for a blue wave there, which I don't think the markets will like. So you just want to be smart in this situation, especially you have a ton of gains. And if you have some losses, I think this is when you book those losses to get that on this year's tax calendar. Yeah, Tony, I think that's obviously super important. As much as we'd love to pretend that we're radiologists, that we're pilots the next week, uh, tax season is something that you certainly want to go out and get yourself a professional for. So very exciting, all of these new names, of course, that we've been pounding, you know, how to really take advantage of that SPAC craze. You know, you mentioned there's very similar to these ICOs that can go out, explode 500%, and then two days later, they're gone. So be careful out there. Make sure that you do have conviction about your stocks. You always do your own due diligence, of course, because you know some of these will be massive winners, but certainly some will end up losing. So as we kind of round the bases towards the end of this episode, instead of kind of walking through which ones are IPOing this week or any important earnings dates, let's talk about some of the SPAC dates. So these SPACs that are now moving from their old ticker symbols to the new ones. What do we got coming up this week, Tone? Absolutely. I want to just touch on that for a second, what you just mentioned. So I always like to say, play the hand you're dealt, but always have an ace up your sleeve. The hand that you're dealt with right now is that this SPAC craze is hot and it's going and it, I don't think it's going to stop for a while, especially not until the market comes down a bit, which who knows, you know, we dropped 80 points on SPX and these SPACs are still ripping for the most part. So definitely consider the risk and higher price SPACs and definitely consider the upside potential in great leadership SPACs that have, you know, good prospects in the future that have not ran at all yet. They're 10 to $12 range. So look at that. But we'll talk about some SPAC dates now because that's really what, you know, this show's kind of become a SPAC show in the, in the last few weeks just because this is exactly what the market's moving. So FEEC uh, shareholder meeting is scheduled on December 16th at 10 a.m. Eastern time. So that's the meeting to approve the business combination with skills. SAMA shareholder meeting to approve business combination with Cleverleaf. So that's a marijuana play there. That's Thursday, December 17th at 11 a.m. Eastern. HCAC, which we talked about last week, that shareholder meeting to approve the business combination with Canoe is Monday, December 21st at 10 a.m. Eastern time. IPOB, one that we pounded a long time ago at 10, ran all the way to 30, shareholder meeting to finally approve the business combination with Open Door. That's Thursday, December 17th at 9 a.m. And another one that we pounded, and I don't think it liked our pound because it didn't run a lot, but that's okay. It's better to have not run than to lose money. So IPOC shareholder meeting with Clover Health is scheduled to be January 6th, finally, of 2021. So we're finally moving into the new year here. A lot of interesting names to talk about and a lot more pounding the table to come. Damn, that was quite the episode, Tony. And we are wrapping things up as we always do. We are super excited. As we mentioned, we're going to get some merchandise going. We have some incredible guests coming up too. So really appreciate all of these folks that have reached out in DMs. We'd love to try to answer as many as we can. And people are just introducing us to these incredible guests. So we're not going to have any spoiler alerts. You'll see them pop up when they do. But very excited about that, Tony. 
Yeah, I'm excited too, because I think, you know, I'll give a little spoiler alert. You're going to see the two people on here, the three, honestly, who made me who I am as a person and a trader. And those people are all very, very knowledgeable about the finance space. So happy to have those people on, share some love, because they got me to where I am today. And you're already on the show, Avi, or else it would be four. I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> and with that being said, this wraps up episode 19 of Pounding the Table. And I hope you guys have a great trading week and see you next week, Pounders. Drip on a hundred bits, say less, that's me. Y'all on level one, I'm level three. Pounding on the table for my team. Every night I flex, I'm making big moves.